Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Conan Man's Answer Show live every week. If you haven't already, please follow me on my social media at Conan Man's and on your favorite streaming platform at Conan Man's Answers to stay up to date with updates on the show and current events and clips and more. Um, this is episode 83 with Adam Cole, who's been on the podcast twice before. He's an economist and financier and creative from Orange County, California. He's become a great friend of mine. We talk about a lot about politics, the COVID-19 pandemic, the concentration camps of Australia and China, how catering to slavery in China and imperialism, Americans don't do that anymore. And then we, we, we end with a talk on transgenderism, gender in general. Uh, it's a large, broad conversation regarding the current climate of politics and econ- the economy of the American politics. I hope you guys enjoy. Please take a listen. All right, we're just diving, diving back into it. Adam, welcome back. Thanks for having me, dude. My dude, it's awesome. Awesome being here. Always a, always a good time. Yeah. Uh, w- before we started, we were just talking about me being a lawyer. Not a lawyer yet, but, you know, one of the things I've been doing is just literally I just sit in this exact same spot. I move my mic over and I just study doing the LSAT practice stuff. Mm-hmm. And I will text like my, he's my best one. He's one of my best friend's brother-in-law. Um, but we got close as I was interning for him and he just be texting me like an older brother, like you got to fucking study, <laughs> like get your shit together, all this stuff. And so, I mean, it's fun. It's just a lot of work and it's, and it's, it drains on, you know, but you know, enough about me. What have you been up to? What have you been doing? You know, uh, kind of, kind of same, just grinding. I mean, not really test. It's funny. Cause I, you say study cause I actually have to study this week cause I have a test coming up next week. Uh, I'm gonna go get my. I have to. I'm gonna go become a broker, so I have to go get my my real estate license for California. Uh, a lot of people don't know, but I am a, a loan officer, and so you know, wheeling deals, selling money, and everything. Uh, so I have to always keep up with my licenses and stuff. I just finished uh, renewing them for 2021. It's like 15 states that I have, so it's it's just hours upon hours of kind of just review and a little bit of testing here. Uh, but since I'm making a making a, a company move to a different company, uh, they require me to have my real estate license as well for California, and so I'm going to be studying up doing that. Uh, besides that, uh, the last time we talked was it's been a minute. It's been a minute. It has. It's been a minute, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think last time we talked, I was still doing the photo game like 100. That's kind of taking the back seat. It's still it's still a money maker, but it's not the main bread and butter, which I which I really enjoy now. Uh, you know, my, my other gig is the, is the main bread, bread and butter, which is really nice. Uh, but just been grinding, man, you know, trying to have a nice 2022, you know, we're in season three of COVID. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> trying to, trying to just make the most out of life while we can. You know, it's crazy. Like we've talked three different times during the pandemic and virtually nothing has changed except for the fact that they require vaccinations now. Uh, what? Well, you don't have to get into your political beliefs or anything like that, but you can just, you know, say, what do you think about that? What do you think about states specifically or like just like specific organizations requiring a vaccine? Like, I mean, most schooling and stuff has required vaccines in the past and stuff. What do you think about this, especially since it's a almost trial and error kind of vaccine? It's never been seen before. It's an mRNA vaccine. Um, and now they're trying starting to require a third dose, which is the booster. I personally am not a fan of requiring anyone to do anything. Um, but what is your take? Uh, I mean, obviously when I grew up there, there was, I remember having a vaccine card for school. You know, you had to have your measles, your polio, your all mm-hmm. like 14 by the time I was 12. 
I remember a family member told me that their four-year-old had had like something like 72 vaccinations. And I was like, that's just a little excessive at this point. And then now they're, they're like you said, it's, it's a trial, it's a trial and tribulation type of vaccine from what, what I've heard. I mean, I'm vaccinated. I did it for, you know, my, my, uh, my family to keep, you know, grandparents and, and yeah. people in my family safe, you know, whatever that made them, made them feel better. Um, as a person who's never had COVID, I've never had symptoms, never had COVID, never tested positive or anything, even tested many times. I have very different views on it mm-hmm. than someone who has gone through it, you know, but uh, when it comes to vaccines, this one I'm kind of on the fence with, you know, I'm pro vaccine. I'm obviously, you know, polio, measles, uh, you know, hepatitis, all those, all those stuff. But this one is, is it hasn't gone through a 10 year period. We don't know the long lasting side effects of it. You know, people are already having side effects from it, you know, bad adverse reactions and stuff. And for the most part, it seems like it's not even working. People are still getting COVID. People are still getting sick. You know, the unvaccinated are getting just as sick as the vaccinated. So it's, it's not like it even matters. And, and, and they keep coming out with this, oh, the booster's gonna help you. Oh, the, the pill's gonna help you. We're making a super vaccine. No, it's, it's when, you, when you're in a capitalist society like we are, it's a for-profit medical system. They're going to push everything to just scare you and make money off of it. Yeah, what makes me laugh is I'll be driving, and, and so I have one of those Bluetooth. You got to plug it in, and, it, and then you connect to Bluetooth, and you go to a radio station, and you play music, you know, one of those little car things yeah. um, in my car. And sometimes it's just too fucking <sighs> – in the background so i just like just listen to the radio because whatever and you know when the commercials come on there's a lot about the vaccines and everything like that and it's always like do you love this time of year this is the best time to be with your family it also is the best time to get your COVID 19 vaccine and it's like how are you just gonna jump like that it's just so funny because it's like COVID 19 vaccines be like like it literally start out as just talking about being with your family and loved ones and it's like this is also the best time to go get shot up go get your COVID 19 vaccine don't be an asshole basically is how it ends and it's like it's like and then it'll be brought to you by pfizer brought to you by moderna brought to you by you know and it's just like okay i get it but it's like when there are things like monoclonal antibodies and ivermectin that aren't even being talked about, and if they are being talked about, it's, oh, Joe Rogan took horse dewormer, which is not true, or, or you know, just like not like pushing for people not to get monoclonal antibodies once they're infected. It, it makes no sense. It's like, okay, yes, vaccines should be like people who want the vaccine should be able to get the vaccine, obviously. But People are still getting sick. So where is the treatment discussion? Where is the discussion about how to stop this thing or mitigate the, the adverse effects once you have it? Because you can't just say, oh, masks and vaccination is going to stop you because that's clearly not true. So there's, it's, a, it's a three-tier prong on that one. So with, with the advertisements, you have Pfizer getting billions and billions of dollars from our government in order to push this vaccine. That's why we're seeing advertisements. There's never any advertisements for the flu shot. There's never any advertisements for any other type of um, vaccine. And, and what also is in the same tier is we're one of the only countries that allows medication to be uh, advertised on television. Us in New Zealand are the only two countries in the world that allow diabetes medication, heart control medication, stuff to be pushed to the individual consumer, which is wild to me. 
The second part is, you know, you have Joe Rogan who, who was, who came under fire. And the funny thing is, is Joe Rogan always says, I'm an idiot. Don't, don't listen to me. You know, don't take my advice, whatever. I'm just here for the discussion. Take ivermectin out of the situation. You, we don't really know. There's too many opinions about it. Take that out of, out of the scenario here. You have the discussion of the antibodies treatment. No one's talking about it. It's also FDA approved, but no one's talking about it. Okay. They wanted to talk about how Joe Rogan and Dana White got, both got COVID. Dana White's whole family got COVID. But no one, everyone wants to talk about this ivermectin that he took or whatever, or whatever Joe Rogan's on. But they don't want to talk about that he got better within 48 hours. When you tell people that Joe Rogan got better in 48 hours, the conversation stops. And that's what's, what's completely wild to me. The third prong of this, of, this, of this topic is the fact of no one's advertising health. No, it's, it's advertising weird. Sickness. They, they want you to stay inside. They want you to do nothing, just, you know, lounge around, but they don't say, Hey, you should probably go pick up vitamin D supplements, which is like $30 on Amazon for a six month supply. Okay. They don't want to talk about, you should probably exercise 45 minutes every day, whether it be a brisk walk or a brisk jog or weightlifting, whatever it want to be. You might want to look into taking supplements, drinking a gallon of water, and eating healthy. Oh, well, eating healthy is expensive. Eating healthy is, is uh, you know, you can't get organic fruits and vegetables. I'm sorry, no. I grew up poor as a kid. My mother fed me beans, rice, and sardines, and I was, you know, and I, and I came out fine, okay? Yeah. So it really bothers me when they don't advertise health. 70% of the people that die from COVID are obese and also have underlying health concerns, okay? You know, that number jumps up when you, when you look into if they had diabetes and et cetera, and et cetera. So for them not to advertise health in this situation is just so mind boggling to me, because honestly, the reason why we're in season three of COVID is because people continue to eat Mickey D's on a daily basis. They drink Starbucks, you know, they main vein Starbucks on a daily basis and they don't exercise. I agree. Totally. And what's fascinating about that is right before, I mean, like I'm taking a piss and I'm like, I just texted you. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to set everything up and go. I looked at my friend's story who, who is more conservative. He's a Mormon from Utah. He's a good dude though. But he posted on his story, uh, a post from multi-level fitness, which says breaking news, American citizens will now be mandated to exercise daily, eat healthy and consume one gallon of water daily. Proof of daily exercise will be mandatory. Blood pressure and cholesterol levels must be kept at acceptable levels. Failure, failure to comply will result in termination of employment, restrictions on movement and the restricted access to restaurants, grocery stores and entertainment venues. And what's fascinating about that is you're like, that would never happen. It's happening with a vaccine, which is yeah. even and a vaccine that was FDA approved after people had started started injecting them in their arm, it is fascinating that when you read that, if you just change exercise daily and drinking water with force to a vaccination, if you showed anybody in the history of the United States prior to two thousand prior to two thousand and seventeen, you know two thousand eighteen, you you showed them this. They'd be like, hell no, I'm not taking, getting mandatory vaccines. That doesn't make any sense. We're the freest country, freest in air quotes. We're the freest country. And I'm not anti-vax, like I said about you. And I'm not anti-government. I think you know there are a lot of policies which should be in place to boost people up. But what I am not okay with is people like doctors, pilots, 
and this comes from not just governmentally funded corporations, but just corp- corporations, liberal indoctrinated corporations, pilots, engineers, um, um, uh, doctors, lawyers. I'm not okay with these people losing their jobs because of a political belief. You know, that doesn't make any sense. It's not even a political belief. If you, if you really think about it, it's like, why are, why does 85% of nurses in New York not want to get vaccinated? They're the ones being on the front line. You know, why are, why are test kits, if, if this is a public health issue, why are test kits not being distributed day one? Why are, if this is, you know, a public health concern, you know, they, they would, they would have supplied N95 masks to, to, to everyone, to kids and everything. The thing is, is they, they're looking at the now, everyone's who's taken the vaccine is, is, is thinking that there's this promised land. Like if everyone gets vaccinated, this shit's going to go away. No, it's not. The flu doesn't go away. Mm-mm. Colds don't go away. The problem is, is we, again, we live in a, in a society that makes money off of people being sick and not being people being healthy. So, I mean, our medical system, it's impacted. It's overflowed. They're making more money than they've ever had in, in, in anyone's lifetime. You know what and, I saw something? To, oh, no. Finish what you're saying. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you so, off. So, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're, it, it, it's not even a political thing anymore. You know, it's just kind of like you got to think outside the box at this point. And, I mean, it's, it's a rabbit hole. At the end of the day, we're going down the rabbit hole. Well, you know what else fascinates me is that nobody is talking about the COVID camps in Australia. Do you know anything about those? No. So I'm going to preface this by saying I have done research, but I have not done extensive research. So if I'm wrong, anybody who's listening to this is willing, you can email me or whatever. You can find me, comment, and tell me I'm an idiot and shoot me an article or facts so I can read it. But what I've read so far and what I've watched so far is people who are unvaccinated um, or have been exposed, whether or not they have COVID or not, are being placed into camps or the only way they can leave their house uh, or the camp building, which is fenced around. And the only way they can leave is if they do their laundry, which is in a communal, communal area. And the videos are disturbing there's a lady who posted this video. She's like, well, I can't sit on my porch. And they're like, no, you have to go inside. You can only leave with a mask on if you want to go to your laundry. And, and this is happening. Like, it's for real happening. The authoritarian police force and government of Australia is throwing unvaccinated and people who are, and people who are contaminated or have been um, uh, – yeah, contaminated is the right word, or have been infected, I guess, is the other way, uh, with COVID into these camps. And in the video, the lady is saying that I watched, the lady is saying, she says, or the guy, he's in a full hazmat suit, and he goes, uh, this is a high-risk area, you cannot be outside. And she goes, high-risk when none of us are positive? And that was like, whoa. You know, like, it's so crazy. And, and they keep people inside their houses, so if you're not in the camps, you have to, there's a curfew, mandatory curfew, kind of like we had in, like, LA and things. And nobody's talking about it relative if it's over or not, or if it's not as extreme as some of the articles I've read have been saying, we should be talking about how they are throwing people into these concentration camps over a pandemic, you know, and it is a pandemic and it is affecting a lot of people's lives. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that it's not dangerous and it's not a dangerous virus. But what I am going to say is that it's so funny to me that we can talk about human rights and not talk about 
these countries that are allied with us doing insane, disturbing things to their own people, like China and the Uyghurs. So, so I mean, when you when you when you call them concentration camps, it gets it gets a bit fuzzy because you have a lot of people's opinions on that. We can't call them co- concentration camps yet. Uh, we can call them camps, we can call them refugee camps, whatever you want to call them. I haven't heard of those specifically in Australia. What I have heard is that they do publicly shame you if you are unvaccinated or if you are positive, if you have a positive test. You know, they put you on a billboard, they put you, you know, on the public news outlet. They say, hey, these these people in your neighborhoods are have tested positive. And I've heard about that because I have friends on the eastern side of Australia. The thing is, is what bothers me is not that they're shaming people. I think they need to bring that back. You know, publicly shaming people is what brings people, puts people in check. If you're not shaming people in public, you know, goes along with bullying and everything. And, and I have my opinions on that. Obviously there's extreme cases, but ooh, ooh, you're like hitting your, your microphone. And oh, it's, yeah. it's, no, you're good. But the, the, the thing is, is shaming people has always put them in check. Because I think a lot of people don't have a lot of self-awareness. The reason why we're not talking about health in this instance is because we live in a country where 70% or 65% of the people are, are obese. It's not good to run a political campaign telling people they're fat. That's just the bottom line. Okay. And so you need and, and they, they keep they keep pushing for this vaccine and they tell people. Oh, you're unvaccinated. You're going to clog up the healthcare system. You're going to you're going to cause resources to be allocated to you because you're unvaccinated, and they try to shame you that way. I don't understand why this why the same token is not taken for someone who's obese, who has high blood pressure, who has high cholesterol, who may be diabetic due to their their weight. Why is that same token not taken to them? They're going to clog up the healthcare system. Resources are being expended on them because of their 100% preventable illness compared to this unvaccinated person where they, they, you know, it's like, what's the difference here? I'll tell you the difference or what I think the difference to be is the people who are obese or not all of them, but, you know, or, you know, go against the spectrum, I guess you could say they, um, they're aligned politically with the people who are uh, shaming the unvaxxed or the um, or, or the people who get sick. So, I mean, you can't really say people who get sick, but you know, people who are getting sick, you would assume, are the people who are going out and doing things, being more reckless, which would probably be more aligned to conservative ideology within the United States. Same thing with unvaxxed. I think most people who are unvaxxed are either either they they could have a liberal liberal ideology, but they probably have not had the resources or time to get vaccinated. At this point, probably everyone who wanted to get vaccinated could have gotten vaccinated. Um, so they tend to be more conservative. And because these, these, this ideology favors liberals and liberals are in office at the point, at the point, at the point in time and they're um, in the Senate and in the house or they're the majority in both those parties, um, they, they shame the opposing. They make it, they, they deem them as racist, sexist, um, and then now they're throwing unvaccinated. They're, they're, they want to kill you. They're, they're basically making it so you, they're, telling, they're telling young liberal people that the conservatives that they could be friends with or family members with, they're killers. 
they, they're going a step farther because racist and misogynist is not enough now. It's murderer. They're murderers now. They're willing to not get vaccinated. They're willing to kill your grandmother. They're willing to kill you. They're a murderer, you know? And they do this. And so I, this, you know, I can preface this by saying I, my senior project was done by um, examining Marxism and, what, and the ideology of the Soviet Union. Um, and, and what happens with ideology is the people in power, they, 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 they shove this ideology in the face of the, of the common person in order to indoctrinate them with beliefs in order to keep them fighting with the, Marx would call it the working class or whatever, but the bottom, you know, the common person fighting with the common person. When really, it's the people at the top who are feeding us this ideology, who are creating this racial tension, this sexist tension, this unvaccinated tension. They're creating this, this political spectrum where if you fall anywhere opposing to anyone else, you should hate that person. And what they're doing is they're doing it so they can insider trade and they can make this money and they can keep making money off of Pfizer and off of, off of um, Ukrainian gas companies and Hunter Biden's laptop. Like, like they're doing it so that, everyone at the top can just keep making money and keep being greedy and that everyone at the bottom just fights with each other. And that's what I think at least. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is, is the biggest weapon you can ever have is, and the most destructive is the uneducated at the masses. If you pump this, this, uh, these ideas into people to keep them dumb, you're going to be able to control them. It's going to be that simple no matter where you go. Uh, the reason why it was, it was easier back then is because, there was no Facebook, there was no social media, there was no cell phones. Everything you read came from your daily newspaper from your town that was, that was revised by editors and, and whoever was the controlling government there. Nowadays, there's so, much, there's so much access to information, the only way to dispel, because they can't control the information you consume or, or how much you consume of it, they can control the way your mind works around it. So that's why they, they pump a bunch of misinformation because it's going to be hard for you to decipher in the end what your real opinion is on that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, in, to, in today's day and age, that's what a big problem is. You don't have a lot of free thinkers. You have a lot of people that, that, that like to point the finger. They like to find a scapegoat. And that's what everyone's doing. Everyone's finding the scapegoat. Oh, it's the conservatives' fault. Oh, it's the liberals' fault. Oh, it's, uh, it's the refugees' fault. It's the immigrants coming up from the border. You know, they, they can't really decipher who it is. And that's what a major uh, – there's no unity in the states. Okay, so like, like for instance, I don't know if you're, if you're young enough to remember this, but after 9-11, the, the population was very united. You know, it was time to say, you know, they, they said it was the closest thing to when, to when Pearl Harbor happened. Obviously, it was the biggest major terrorist attack. But the country became united, you know, under the fact of like, we're Americans. We all need to come together. Everyone was friendly, helping out. Communities came together. But when this pandemic happened, what did you see? You saw people overstocking, taking toilet paper, taking all the supplies, people fighting in the stores for, for stuff. No one's united over this common issue that we have. Instead, they'd rather point the finger at each other. Yeah. And, you know, it's easier, obviously. And like you said, it's because the masses are uneducated. And, and you know, I think, that's a, I think that's a tool that social media, it might not have been the purpose or it might not have been understood 
that that would be caused by social media would be vast uneducation, you know, vast people reading less. Actually, they probably thought the opposite, but I think it's a direct cause of social media. Why, why read a book or, or I mean, okay, actually I take that back because you can listen to podcasts and learn and grow. But the thing about podcasts is you're only going to listen to podcasts that feeds your egotistical ideology. Um, you know what I mean? You're not going to listen to a podcast that you disagree with unless you're like super narcissistic and then you like to like argue inside your head with something you're listening to. And, and so I think it's made people, it's, it's given people a safe space. Social media especially has given people a safe space where they only have to follow the people they agree with. They only have to listen to the people they agree with and they only have to talk to the people they agree with. And, and, especially COVID now that you, all you have to really talk to is your family in some places. And, and maybe like no one's getting close to random people anymore, unless you're like in a bar and you know, we can get to that later. But when you go out and you go to the store and things, everyone's wearing a mask, they're all huddled away. If you're in a city, you know, no one's really, you know, taking the time to get to know people. And, and so this diversification has been ex- amplified by not only social media but the COVID-19 pandemic and I think the only way out of it really is for a leader an actual leader to be elected into office who doesn't matter what ideology they they have but he needs to say hey everyone needs to shut the fuck up we are all one people you can disagree and still love somebody fact is most marriages disagree on a lot of things yet they love each other and they need to come together and they need to say some shit that everyone's like, okay, I agree with this. And they need to forge a plan before you fucking run for president, forge a plan for the future. You know, like don't just run hoping you'll win and then be like, shit, I don't know what to do. Forge a plan and tell people this is what we're doing. And I feel like everyone would be like, I'm down with this guy, you know, or this girl. That's, that's the problem is, is they don't, you can't run political campaigns on that. Yeah. If you think about it, every political campaign for, I mean, we'll just say, I mean, we'll even say since before Obama, you know, has been run on just attacking your opponent, attacking the weak sides of your opponent and trying to win votes over that. It, I think everyone always kind of kind of fights like with the Constitution and they kind of say, oh, is this the country that our forefathers want? Well, our forefathers didn't want this two-party system. Nope. They did not want us to idolize politicians. That's why George Washington wasn't a king. So I, th- I think it's really, it goes back to what you were saying is it's better to have the bottom classes fighting against each other than to realize where the true enemy is, which is at the top. You know, like, okay, e- example, the student loan relief. Okay. Who's, argu- who's arguing between those two? It's the middle class and the bottom class that are paying it. Yeah. Bottom class wants, hey, we need student loan relief because these loans are predatory. They're 7%, X amount, whatever. The middle class is arguing, no, we, you can't forgive all those loans because I already paid my loans. That's not fair to me. So those two classes are fighting. In reality, they extinguished $600 million in tax benefits for the upper class, for corporations and the high paying tax elite. They eliminated $600 million in taxes. So 
where's, where's the real enemy here? Is it these two that are fighting or is it because they already gave student loan relief, but they did it in a tax break for the super rich? You know what else? I just learned that I had no idea. You get a tax break for your losses. So hypothetically, you could put, if you're wealth well off, right? You could put, and I'm not saying do this, and I'm not saying it's not a good idea. I'm just saying it's fucked up that you can do this. You can put money in a stock you know is going to traject downward and write that off as a tax break and not pay taxes. Or what if you have one company buy a piece of real estate, okay? Mm -hmm. And you have your B company buy that piece of real estate at $50 million less than what you actually bought it for. Uh, You didn't think about that, right? Same thing applies for NFTs now. You can buy an NFT for, let's say, $100,000. You can have another wallet buy that same NFT for $50,000. The money's still yours. Yeah. You're still cashing it out. You're just putting a transaction list together saying, I lost $50,000 on this. Yeah. And that's a write-off. But the thing is, is people are barely discovering it for NFTs and crypto. But the thing is, is corporations corporations have been doing this for over a hundred years. Yeah. Since the stock market crashed in 1929, there's been tax benefits and tax breaks. You know, we, we, we bail out airlines and vehicle manufacturers and other companies over and over again. But when the common man needs a bailout, we all of a sudden have no money left. It's also, you know, to go off that, it's, it shows you why financial capital is the enemy to all people. I'm not saying capitalism because capitalism, the way it worked when Adam Smith wrote Wealth of Nations made sense, right? It made sense. Individual liberalism creates more innovation than scarcity and dictatorships. Okay, that makes sense. However, when large corporations and banks are in cahoots with the government, then the people who suffer are the common people. Well, when, when modern economics was written, billionaires didn't exist. You're right. So that's why it worked. Yeah. When, when uh, modern economics was, was written, you didn't have underlying monopolies. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a ton of underlying monopolies that are not being checked. Facebook, one of them, is under a big antitrust lawsuit, finally. Still has not been done anything about it. Uh, telecommunication systems across uh, states, state lines, our power grid, our infrastructure, a lot of these co- companies have unsecured monopolies, and they're not being checked. And that's also, it's a hindrance on the people because we're not getting you know, the things that we do need for from these companies, they're just soaking up profits. Not only are they soaking up profits, but you're not allowed to insider trade. However, Congress people have been doing it for centuries. I wouldn't say centuries, decades. Look at Nancy Pelosi's husband and what he makes his money off doing. Do you, have you looked into that? Yeah, I'm a big I'm a big proponent on this. Um, yes, 2008 and the visa the visa whole thing. Yeah, you can't have people writing legislation that's going to benefit their stock portfolio. No, okay? you can't. the thing is, is when Jimmy Carter was in 
uh, came into office, there's, there's, a, there's a stipulation that presidents cannot have businesses that may affect legislation, right? Okay, they didn't do that with Trump. Trump had many businesses that, affect, that, that were affected by the legislation that he directly wrote. Okay, the thing is, is Jimmy Carter, poor man, great, great president, really gets, really gets a lot of shit for the Iran conflict, right? He had to sell his peanut farm, his small peanut farm in Georgia because of that underlying stipulation saying he cannot make outside money as a president, only because he had some small agricultural bill that was on the table. Mm-hmm. They don't do that for Nancy Pelosi. They don't do that for Rand Paul. They don't do that for um, what's that other guy, the lead speaker of the House that was before Nancy Pelosi? Mitch. Uh, no, not Mitch McConnell. The the other guy, uh, young guy. I can't even think of his name. Uh, they don't. They don't do it for a lot. They they no, don't. And and that's what really bothers me is you have. You have Nancy Pelosi. Like, okay, th- th- let's this let's just take Nancy Pelosi off because I know Democrats love Nancy Pelosi. There's a couple of Republicans who, in January, they were briefed about COVID. Yeah. To, uh, and I'm sorry, not not this January, but in 2020, it was like January 17th. Congress was debriefed on the speculations of COVID and what it could do for the economy. Okay. Three Congress people came out of that came into that meeting and liquidated their entire portfolio, okay? They then rebought their whole portfolio on May 31st when the stock market had bottomed out. (sighs) It's scary, because you have these people who have the insider ear on everything. You have, uh, you know, as soon as as Raytheon gets a $600 million contract to build cruise missiles to update our current arsenal that's gonna expire in five years, you have every single congressperson buying of their stock. They're making 10, 15%, 30% gains overnight. Warren Buffett would cream his panties for those type of gains. Yeah. So it's like, are they really benefiting the American people or are they benefiting their pockets? They're definitely benefiting their pockets. I think anybody who has done any extensive or even like impulsive um, research has figured out that there's something sketchy about senators, um, incumbent senators and the way their pockets grow when they're in office. Um, You know, another thing to go on top of that is imperialism, which Vladimir Lenin was a horrible guy. I'm not giving him any credit, but he wrote imperialism, last stage of capitalism and, and took Marx and critiqued capitalism in a very intellectual and articulate way. And, you know, we see it every day, you know, why is there job scarcity within the United States? The answer, because you don't want to pay $5 to what you can pay 50 cents, the workers in, in China, or you, you can, you can fund, you can fund corporations within slave held states like China and India and Africa, and you can pay these workers 10 cents to the dollar as opposed to paying a dollar to American citizens, really $5 to fit 10 cents, um, and helping the American people. And so what that does is it makes everyone look out and say, okay, corporations can grow their wealth by not paying American workers and paying and funding basically slavery, outsourcing slavery, right? Outsourcing their company that funds slavery. So they can do that. 
And it makes you say, well, then what is the benefit of capitalism inside the, the inside of the country? Now, now, Trump would say it's mercantilism. It's us first. It's America first. American corporations build up the working class. More other people would say, no, we, it's about making innovation. It's about making something out of nothing, right? That's the, that's the point. But really, it's like we have this system that's completely flawed and upside down, and it's almost leading to a revolution. Yet the only other thing that people think of for a political system, political and economic system, has created hundreds of millions of deaths within the 20th century, that being socialism. So we're looking outside, and we're like, well, we don't want the right is like, well, we don't want hundreds of millions of people to die. And, and then the left saying, yeah, but we don't want poverty to cause to be to be linked with um minority status and also cause conflict between the bottom and keep the rich getting richer and so it causes this inner class conflict that is only resolved through a revolution which is what nobody wants nobody wants a violent revolution within the united states not even no besides maybe russia and china right yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's, you, you kind of leaned on a couple topics there. One, I want to talk about, you know, the imperialism, uh, you know, obviously that was, that's really big in, you know, the eight, the ninth, 20th century and, and 19th century. Um, but it did a lot of good. You know, you, you look at countries like Rondonesia, which is now uh, modern day Ethiopia mm-hmm. was a flourishing company. was a f- flourishing country, um, you know, up until the revolution in the nineties, I believe. You know, a lot of whites lived in that country. A lot of, it was a very diverse, they was very glad until they kind of put it in the minds of the nice of into the population that they wanted a unified African country. So they drove the, the minorities out, which happened to be the whites, right? You, you, and then you look at, you know, the other topic that you touched on, you know, that's, that's, a, that's just, a, if you want to do research on that one, that's one to look into the good side of imperialism on that front, because it did create a, a really good country. On the second end, you know, you, you have people who are advocating for, I guess you could say slave labor that major corporations when they outsource their, their money to. The thing is, is, is what's a living wage in America? It's not the same living wage in India or in the Philippines. You know, their quality of life is a lot different than ours. You have still a lot of, uh, a lot of towns and a lot of villages that are just small fishing villages. You know, they may have a couple family members that work in the factories in the city, but their quality of life is a lot better. Why? Because it's a cultural thing. They don't have Kim Kardashian on their TV to tell them that they need Louis Vuitton and diamonds to make them happy. They don't have, you know, NBA sports players making millions and millions of dollars in their face and flaunting the money on TV all the time. What they have is their small village. They have their little boat. They have good food and they have family values. And that's the difference. And a lot of people don't like to take that into consideration. I think, though, that a big a problem with the slave labor is that the big one is China, right? And we know that the quality of life is not all right there. We can say that in places that are more free, there might be a better quality of life. But when you're catering corporations, American corporations and American movies to – a country that is enslaving the Uyghurs and the Muslims, killing them in a genocide that we have not seen since the Holocaust. And yet we talk about the injustices of, of, um, 
America. Like, yeah, like I get it. You can't like, you got to give, you got to say bad things when they happen, but come on, dude, you're going to have black lives matter painted across the NBA court. Yet the NBA's big one, the NBA's biggest uh, watcher is, is Chinese, China and Chinese watchers. And they won't say nothing about the, the concentration camps with the Uyghurs. And that one we can say are concentration camps because it has come out and the European Union has said that China has been committed mass genocide of the Muslims and the Uyghurs for the last decade. And that is fascinating because no one's saying a goddamn thing because of how powerful China is. And I cannot understand... And, you know, to go off of this, the Mac, Giselle Maxwell trial, everyone's talking about Kyle right now shooting three white guys for God knows why, but no one's talking about the biggest story of elites that America has ever seen, negative story, that America has ever seen. The lady is on trial was just on trial right now, and nobody is talking about it because it does not benefit the indoctrinated ideology it's so stupid it's it also because it puts a lot of people whose word has been written to build these political parties puts them at stake that's why republicans and democrats don't want to talk about it exactly because it puts so many people who have built these parties who have built these you know these trust lines it discredits them immensely and you have everyone from Trump to Bill Clinton to Prince Andrew to even CEOs of Hollywood elites, all surpassing whatever Harvey Weinstein ever did, on this list that Maxwell had. You know, she, she has dirt on everyone, and she's just waiting for it to come all out. There, that lady's going to end. The, the thing is, is that lady's going to end up dead before she's ever going to speak. Yeah, I agree. Look at look at Jeffrey. I mean, no, not, not even, don't even look at Jeffrey. You know who the biggest person they killed? They killed Princess Diana because of two reasons. She was going to out Prince Andrew for being a fucking pedophile, and she was also pregnant with a Muslim man's baby. All right, you got to just real quick before you make the point, you got to talk about because that is a whole bombshell to drop on me and the listeners right now, and we need, to, we need to know the story. What do you know about that? So, okay, if you've done your research on the Princess Diana thing, she... Okay. So Prince Andrew has always been connected to Jeffrey Epstein. Okay. Princess Diana always had a big mouth and that's why she was, she was loved by the people because she was, she was a commoner. You know, one of the things that they did not like is when the AIDS epidemic was happening, she actually shook hands with someone who had AIDS. The queen threw a fit. It was like a big mass thing internally. Um, my speculation on why she was killed is because of two things. She was divorcing, um, what's his name? Prince Charles at the time. Yeah, 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 Charles. She was divorcing him because he was having an affair. And so she was also free to date everyone. But the thing is, is, you know, women, women aren't given the same rights as men. While Prince Charles was able to date Camilla freely and have an open relationship with her, they kept Princess Diana under wraps because she was still a mother of two princes and she was still the face of the people, okay? At the time, she was most likely dating uh, her, her what's, what's it called, horseback riding coach, Esquitarian? Uh, I, I think it, I don't know if it's Esquitarian, but it's definitely a, quest, a questionnaire, a questionnaire. Yeah, something like that. There's a lot of evidence that points that her youngest son is his son, 
Okay, they look identical. There's also um, a lot of speculation that she was also pregnant because after that relationship had broken off, that she was also pregnant with the prince, a prince of a, a Middle Eastern country because she was dating him at the time, right? There was speculation that she was also pregnant with a Muslim baby. And the Protestant church of the English monarch would never have a Muslim baby be born into the royalty. So all these things circling around kind of results in the reason of why they killed Princess Diana. You know, you can look, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, there's more, there's more speculation into non-speculation. So it kind of leads to the point. And then what really solidified it for me is when the Meghan and mm. uh, the Meghan Markle and her, what, what, it's not Harry, it's Prince. Oh, dude, honestly, younger, I'm, what'd you say? The younger brother, the younger brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, the ginger dude. Yeah, can't think of his name. If you notice him and his brother, him and his brother don't look alike. Artie is the son. Yes, yes. Anyways, there was an interview that came out and he said, I mean, think about it. Why would you, di- why would you, why would you advocate your own royalty and move to Canada unless you were really scared that someone was going to kill your wife? Right? They, he was scared that they were going to kill his wife like they killed his mother. And there's a lot of evidence that leads up to it. That's insane. Yeah. And it's, it's not, I mean, it sounds like one of those big conspiracy theories, but I mean, think about it. I mean, it all, it all lines up. It, we don't know what, what goes on behind the scenes between political elites because of the fact that it is important to keep secrets from the people. And I'm going to say this. I don't, I don't want to say it like that, but I'm going to say it like that because I'm going to walk around the claim. It is important if you're the leader of the country to not let disaster explode the country. And if, if all the secrets of the United States and, and of any country of the world came out to the, to the normal common person, then the world would turn upside down within a matter of hours. So it's important to keep secrets from the people. Where that line is, it's the hardest line to draw ever. But it seems as though that line meddles with morality. And I would say that there are things that are absolutely moral. But a lot of philosophers and a lot of people who dabble in philosophy would say that abs- morality is relative. And, and, and so morality for one society is not morality for another society, right? I disagree. I think that is inherently wrong to rape children. I think most people would assume this. And I think that you can get a, you can get a number of people. I think you can get a majority of the world to agree on that, right? Regardless of the society you live in. So if then some things are better than others, you can't be relative. You have to be pluralist, which means some things are better than others, but they're not a best way of doing anything. There's not a best way to act good, right? And so that isn't to say that morality is absolute always and that relativity and society has nothing to do with it. And so because some things are absolutely moral 
yet society dictates how people interact with that morality. The line between what you keep secret and what you don't from the people dabbles with morality. That's why Jeffrey Epstein was kept a secret for so long. Because, so, well, yeah, what are you going to say? So, okay, when, it, when you get into morality, you know, everyone thinks that you, if, you're, if you're morally correct, then you're always correct. But that's, that's completely wrong. Yeah, that's completely wrong for sure. You no, know, when you talk about things like, you know, rape is bad rape is bad. The morally correct, you know, politically correct, every which way the arrow is going to be correct. Yeah. But if you take it on a big spectrum, yeah. It's morally incorrect to say that there's too many people on this planet. Yes. You have to, and, and everyone agrees and it's politically incorrect that you cannot say that there is too many people on this planet, but there is. Yes. Okay? You also can't say survival is the fittest of the fittest is the best way for our human species to survive. Yes. Morally, that's incorrect, but statistically, it's how we need to live. And if we want to survive as a species. Yeah. Well, also, is it, is it rational to hide? Is it rational to not hide Jewish citizens, if you're a Christian in Germany in the 1940s, yes. Is it immoral? Yes. Is it moral to hide Jewish people yet irrational? Yes. And you can fiddle with that as much as you want, but you can rationalize immoral acts just as easy as you can moralize irrational acts. However, most people tend to link rationality and morality interconnectedly which is the most dumb thing you could do because rationalization is a tool that people evil people use but going back to it because you can make that assumption of jews in the 1940s in germany in present day because of the information that you have now mm. you have to think as a citizen in germany in the 1930s to 1940s was it rational to get rid of jews Yes. Was it was it moral? Yes, because that's what they believed. See, but I disagree with it was rational, but it was never moral because right outside the border, it's not rational. But that's not where their moral compass lied. And that's where we have to take into account this day and age. Where our moral compass lies between our rational compass might be very different in a 10 years time. Yes, but I do think that things there are things like I said earlier that are absolutely moral and and therefore there are things that are absolutely immoral. And I think genocide if if we took a poll, I think we we would find out that genocide is a thing that is absolutely moral no matter how you look at it. But but I take your point and I take your bait because I think you changed my mind on this because I think that however things be absolutely immoral or absolutely moral does not mean that it it is correct, right? You said like Hitler made it so it was rational and correct for the German society to um, murder Jewish gypsies, things like that. However, it was even though it was immoral, I think he made it so it was politically correct and um, rational, even though it was immoral. He took the three prongs. He made it so it was morally correct, rationally correct, and politically correct for his ideology to be the way of life. And that's who he was able to succeed. So that's why we have to take into account now is 
are the things that we think now, are they going to be the same way we think in 10 years time, 20 years time, 30 years time? Well, it's, it's almost impossible, right? Because look at cruel and unusual punishment. It used to mean you can't take the four limbs of a human in time to four different horses and kick the horses in the ass, right? That's cruel and unusual. However, cruel and unusual today for some people means the death penalty at all, right? Mm-hmm. And some might say that is the majority of American society believes that. And so if the majority of a society believes there is a difference in what words mean, when does the word change, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that I'm worried. I'm worried about morality because we should believe that things are absolutely moral and absolutely immoral. However, it looks like humans for all conscious humans for all time have they live in live in large societies larger cities states it looks like we have fallen a slippery slope or followed a slippery slope down to genocide way easier than people would assume right and it takes one charismatic leader to lead to absolute genocide that's the thing is in 1933 jews did not believe hitler would take power In 1938, when the Night of the Long Knives happened, they never thought that they would lose their citizenship and lose their businesses. In 1939, they didn't believe that they were going to be transported to camps. In 1942, they didn't believe that they were going to be, that they were going to be gas chambers. Okay. So like you said, in 2017, we never thought that we'd have a pandemic. In 2019, we never thought we'd, we'd find a virus. In 2020, we never thought that they would mandate mandate vaccines. In 2021, we never thought that we'd be in the third season of COVID. 2021, don't face what you're going to say. So you see how this slippery slope, we just don't know where our thinking is going to be in a few years. But I want to show you an example on where this moral compass is changing. Okay. Okay. Poland right now. There's a big immigration problem in Europe with the European Union. Yes, right? I, yes. Poland has indoctrinated a, a policy of Poland first, just like American first, right? The EU is saying that it is, it is the moral responsibility of all countries in the EU to take on immigrants. Into okay. Countries. Poland has says it is not our moral responsibility to do so. Why? Because Poland wants to not only protect the citizens of their jobs, but also from unvaccinated people or people who may be untested, you know, because there's, there's thousands and thousands of people at their border. So Poland has taken this moral stance and this is their new moral compass of Poles first because Pol, Pol, there's never been a, Pol, a, a Polish person who has committed a terrorist attack in their country or in any other countries. So that's why that they'd rather not have the risk of the uncertainty. Okay, so that's where their moral compass lies. Another question you have to beg is, why is it the responsibility of countries like America or other white countries like Northern European countries or, or London or even Italy, why is it their moral responsibility to not only diversify, but to take on immigrants? Okay. I'm, I'm a brown person and I'm saying this, you know, I'm, I'm from a Mexican-American family, okay? But why does Norway, Finland, Sweden, uh, Germany, Italy, London, America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, 
have to take in all of these immigrants, okay? There's wonderful societies in Singapore, India, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Northern uh, African countries of Egypt, Morocco, South America, um, Brazil. There's wonderful societies in all these countries, but why are they not burdened with the moral responsibility to diversify? The question I think after that becomes, this is, everybody hold on to something. We're getting dangerous here. I am getting dangerous because this is a slippery slope because it's, you'll see. The question then becomes, when is racism okay? And okay, I'm not saying, I'm not saying racism in the sense that you should murder or even stigmatize another race. Racism is okay never. What I mean is, these Northern European countries, if you want to look at real racism, look at the Northern European countries. They are really racist. They will not let immigrants in like you were talking about. And they indoctrinate and, and they're, they're white people to believe that they're superior. They do. If you can look into this, it doesn't take long. And that's morally incorrect American in, in the Americas. There are racist police officers and people in, in America. However, however, I feel... I feel like America, the United States, is one of the least racist countries in the world. Yet it has the biggest racial tension at the moment. So when does – and if you flip the script, look at reverse racism, what they call reverse racism, anything against white people. Anything they say against white people is considered reverse racism and not racism. So when is prejudice and racial, racial difference allowed? Because that we clearly don't know yet. We clearly cannot make the distinction because white on brown, white on black, white on anything that's not um, white is in America is is racism. Yet brown on white, brown on Asian, black on white, black on Asian is considered and deemed reverse racism or or, or adequate. You know, we don't talk about how Asian Americans are are the the biggest racially prejudiced class in, in, in the United States. No one talks about it, how they get disproportionately affected by college admissions, uh, graduate admissions, test scoring. Um, no one talks about it. So when is racism okay? If we're going to make that stance, when is prejudice and racism allowed? When can we make a racial distinction? Not racism in the sense like, I hate you because you're race. Um, so I'm not going to use the word racism. When is distinguishing between races adequate? When, when we don't know, we have no idea yet. They allow, they allow these Northern European countries to do so European Union does, but, but disavows and, and ridicules America, which is less, less racially inadequate, I guess. You have to, you have to think of it this way is um, humans are very tribal by instinct. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we live in communities of our own. And that's still when immigrants come over here. You go to Glendale, there's a high population of, of Armenian Americans. You go to Little Korea, there's a, there's a high population of Korean and Asian Americans. Okay, there's Little TJ in Anaheim where there's a high population. I mean, all of Orange County is considered, um, you know, very Latino mixed. And you have to take that into account. The thing is, is if when you move into another country and you want to become part of that society because you want to reap the benefits of that society, is you have to assimilate. Bottom line. 
you know, when, when, and, and that's, that's the issue is, is, uh, you know, Norway and all those countries, they're, they're more than happy to welcome immigrants into their countries as long as they assimilate because Poles, Finland, uh, Norwegians, Belgians, even the French have their way of life and they are happy with their way of life. Okay. You can't be bringing your, your, I, I apologize. It interrupted him. I apologize. It was, it got broken up. I didn't, me as the podcast host, didn't create enough storage on my laptop to host a podcast apparently. So I had to clear some storage. We took a little five, 10 minute break. So please continue what you were talking about if you remember, and then we'll just continue to go. I think so. Okay. So we're talking about moral compasses and countries having the moral compass. Well, okay. So why does the burden of diversifying fall on countries that are, that happen to be white, you know, Northern Europe, you know, Northern European countries, America, Canada, Australia, etc. You know, they're not asking Saudi Arabia to diversify. They're not asking uh, Eastern European countries like Turkey to bring in immigrants. They're not asking any of this of Northern Africa countries, um, Singapore, Kuwait, you know, and these are all great countries that have great societies within them that are capable of bringing immigrants and refugees into their country. I saw an interview where a lady had told uh, the, the, inter- the interviewer, she, she said that uh, America has not built the greatest system in the world. I believe America has built for what it is. It has built the greatest system in the world. She said, well, no, what if, what if, what if you look at other countries like Norway, Denmark, um, you know, Sweden, stuff like that. The only countries she could name were countries that were more white than America. And, you know, because she's not listing the Ukraine, she's not listing, you know, Turkey, uh, Jordan, uh, you know, Lebanon, uh, you know, Egypt, Morocco, all those other countries. So that's where like the, the, the moral compass really has to come into play here is why is it being asked upon upon these countries and not others? So when you have countries like Poland who are putting Poles first as their, you know, memoratorium, they have the right to do that. And other countries can't get mad. The EU cannot get mad at, at Poland for wanting to for wanting to have Poland as a Poles first type of country. Where do you think um, that the lack of understanding what human consciousness is lies with this? What I mean by that is where do you think – I think I threw my pencil that I was twirling, twirling around. Where do you think if everyone knew there was a god, then they would be a lot kinder to everyone and they would – view the whole world as a unit right because we lack that we lack what religion's correct or what religion's incorrect or 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 what you know for lack of a better word what god wanted where do you think that comes into play do you think that because of the differences in races and and ethnicities and language and cultures do you think that because of that it's almost inherent and implicit that violence and disagreement has to occur between people i mean i I think that's when we're getting into like a religious text there and that that becomes another rabbit hole we go down because i mean even every religion you know every monotheistic religion states that god created all creatures 
So, you know, if, if, and, and they all believe, so Judaism, uh, Muslim, uh, you know, Islam, uh, Christianity, they all believe that we have one powerful God. He created all, everything in the land. So if he created everything in the land, why am I different than you? Why are the Christians different than, than, than me? Or, you know, why are Christians different than Jews and Jews different from Muslims? We all believe that our God created everything. So he must have created you as well. So why, why do Jews treat non-Jewish people or Goyim different than, than themselves? You know, it's all, it's all a fixation on something. And, and I think it's just uh, another way into putting one's tribe, again, we're all tribal, ahead of the other tribe in order to ensure survivability. So you think it's almost implicit in just the, the genetic code of being a human? You think that it's just whatever tribe you associate with, you want to protect and whatever tribe you're not associated with is the other and be aware. If you want to get into the genetics of it, I, I do believe that uh, humans are genetically greedy and genetically uh, bad. Why? Because in order to have survivable traits, you have to be greedy and you have to be bad. You know, you're not going to survive if I'm giving away all my food in order to ensure the survivability of others. That's not how it works. To ensure my survival, I have to be greedy, I have to be selfish, and I have to be better and badder than every other person around me because I want to ensure my survivability. Next up on that list of my survivability is going to be people within my tribe. I need to make sure that my tribe is the biggest, meanest, and baddest tribe out there so that we can extinguish any tribe that, that may hinder on my tribe's survivability. Mm-hmm. That's just our human nature. And we've, and we've extended it in from, you know, we've gone into tribes to religions, Religions became societies, societies became cities, cities became borders, borders became countries, and that's how it all sprang up to be. Do you think that there are, there's a better way of living? Or do you think that each tribe is individual and if it's sustaining itself, you cannot consider one better than the other? And that's the thing. That's that's when it gets it gets tough to say because again, it's politically incorrect and it's, it's morally incorrect. Mm-hmm. Is there tribes that are better than others? Yes. Is there, and and that's that's the problem. I think is that they are seeing that you can't you can't say that one race is better than the other. But but you can say that certain gene pools within that race are better than others. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're, where you're going with that. So if you look at, like, let's just take the continent of Africa. They have actually deciphered that people who have genetic code for West African countries are superior runners, superior in strength, muscle, and mesomorphic body types. They are a race of people with that. Within this race is a sub-race of people that are genetically better than the rest of their tribe, okay? They've coded that people who have Viking or Northern European bloodlines are genetically better than those of, <laughs> those of Western or Eastern European bloodlines because they lived in harsher conditions 
They lived in harder ways of life for centuries and that have just built up genetic makeup to adapt to those environments. Mm-hmm. Okay. You have uh, people who are in the Americas, you know, Indian tribes, Aztec tribes, Native Americans who are just better ways of 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 thinking of of how they've you know just adapt to you know the hardships that they've overcome you know it's 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 it comes in generations you know so there i don't believe there's one specific tribe or species or you know human that's better but i do believe there are better subspecies that are better than others what are your thoughts on death because i don't think we've ever talked about this and i've talked about this with a lot of people and you've been on here enough times so where i need your thoughts on it because you know, when I was talking to Dr. Shattery, um, who's a an- evolutionary anthropologist at Cambridge, he we talked about the ph- philosophical death and how time moves on a spectrum. Yet, you know, you never really time is only in a, a um, is only really a human adapted concept. Um, you know, the only reason we have a watch and the time and the watch is because humans adapted it. You never really, you can think about the past and think about the future, but you can never exist in the past or the future. So therefore there really isn't time. Time doesn't really exist tangibly at least. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yet we know that we're going to get old and die. Um, some people die tragically young. And so do you think that regarding consciousness and the morality compass, do you think that we're given the ideas of morality and our own depth to enhance our existence in the present? Or do you think that death is something that exists outside of human conception and you can't even really concede or think about the idea because it's so complex? I think time is given to us so we can serve a purpose we, every human has the fear of the unknown and that's why we're always scared of death. So we like to put a label on it. We're always scared of what's going to happen after us or what's, or what's going to become of us or become of the ones that we leave behind. And I think that's what a lot of humans are scared of. Uh, as far as death, you know, I won't know the secret till I get there. Um, you know, I, I hope there's a God. I pray there's a God. I know he's not in the heavens, but maybe somewhere out in space somewhere. I always used to say where science ends, that's where God begins because it's really nothing you can really explain. Um, You know, you can go into, you know, what if there's different universes and dimensions and everything? Are we really unlocking 100% of our consciousness? I mean, or are we just some ant farm that another civilization put us here just to figure out and see what we would do? We don't know. I mean, if aliens came down or another species came down and said, hey, guess what? We kind of planted you here just to see if you guys would run shit. It's not working out, so we're just going to let you know that we're dipping. Are we going to acknowledge them as God? Why not? They created us. I think that God for... All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step back and say that. I think people would then say that God created them to create us. Exactly. So you just... I. I I think people just want something to live for and that's what they do. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, you can say our purpose is to survive and, and procreate, but I mean, look at where it's gotten us now. We're cutting resources in half in just 50 years. And we're drastically reducing our procreation numbers because of the amount of people who are, um, this is, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. People can do whatever they want with their lives, but the, the amount of people who are becoming part of the LGBTQ community is growing. And so that means the amount of people who are in the straight community are, is decreasing, which is the amount of people who can procreate. Um, I, don't know if you can procreate within the LGBTQ community. I haven't done enough research. I don't know if there are biological males and biological females who are dating who are considered a part of the LGBTQ community. You can always donate. You can always, you know, like a lesbian couple can have their eggs donated and 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 yeah, by a single sperm. You can, you can, um, you can have donated eggs and then a surrogate mother for for you know gay males. Mm-hmm. You know that's that's never going to be a problem. Uh, I wouldn't say never. Um, oh, okay. Actually, I'm not going to say that. Procreation will never be a problem. However, however, it gets natural, natural procreation, right? That so, might be a problem. So here's, here's where it all ties into it, um, which is actually really funny because we're, we're, we're not going to see it in our lifetime. We're, we're, we're still too, we're, we're in the, we're in the middle. I would say maybe not even our kids will see this this uh, uh, this this revolution that's going to happen when it comes to this. Uh, procreation is not going to be a problem, you know, whether there's gays or not or straights that are procreating. What's going to be a problem is what comes out of that procreation, the uh, because of what they put in our food and all the shit that, that, that that's that's uh, nutrients. Uh, the nutrients in the soil is, you know, we can only turn over topsoil so much until until nothing grows. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to artificially make our food, and we're not going to know what the what the benefits or the repercussions of artificially made food is for hundreds, maybe two hundred years. You know that way we have the data. So there's two things that are going to be a problem. Offspring are going to be weaker than ever. Okay, we can they already, already see, are. You can already see that in males because you and I have forty percent less testosterone than the boys that not that 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 uh ran on the beaches in normandy okay uh so on a hormonal level we are a lot weaker than five than the average five ten 160 pound five pound boy that stormed the beaches in normandy we are 40 percent weaker than them they were 165 pounds and were able to carry 75 percent of their body weight on their back and a 30 pound rifle it's insane you cannot tell you cannot tell an average 19 year old to do that today okay as well. I think you could tell an average. I just don't think that it'd be as well because even though testosterone is lowering, height is increasing. So it would be five eleven now, one seventy, but lower muscle mass, right? That'd be the difference. Um, but I think you could tell them, and I think you could whip them into shape, especially the increase in trend and SARMs, right? Like I think it was just you just have to use um, antibiotic. You'd have to artificially create, yeah, offspring to be the same as the average 19 year old who stormed the beaches in Normandy. That's, that's the difference because those boys got six months of training and they were, they were on their way. That's the complete difference. Okay. So you have that aspect. The other aspect is this is a social divide. I don't care what you think of the LBGT community. You know, I'm always a person of let live, uh, live and let live. Yeah. If, If it's, if it's not affecting my way of life, I don't care what you do. But don't try to feed it to my children. Don't put it on my TV, especially if you make up 0.003 of the population. Okay, there's still a small percentage, very, very small. 
what you also have to take into account is we have, uh, we have recorded history books that have already taught us the lesson of what happens. When ancient Greek and ancient Romans decided that we want to fuck around with genders and make this a big social issue, it happened to start the collapse of, of their societies. That's why ancient Greece and ancient Rome fell. Why? Because they stopped breeding Spartans and they stopped breeding warriors. The Roman, the, uh, the, the Roman society ended because the Roman empires decided not to emphasize training of warriors and the average citizen. They were too focused on drinking wine and partying. Same thing with ancient Greece. So, and, and we're seeing it here. The same generation that is too focused on Fortnite and the metaverse and NFTs is going to be the same ones that were wiped out. So broad picture, ancient Egypt and ancient Greece focused on things like gender, art, wine, and just doing all that. Mm -hmm. They were eventually wiped out by the Northern barbarians who were still focused on religion and whipping ass. Which is why I think that if there was a civil war, the conservatives would win because the side of guns and the side of, of fighting would is beats the side of love because right and egalitarianism. Now, right, right now we have, we have a, uh, a society that's growing that's focused on sex, gender, NFTs, and the metaverse. So all this unreal application that can just be unplugged will be unplugged eventually. Thing is, is it won't get severe enough in our in our in our time. Do you think that the drastic effects of our climate created by things that humans have created has affected male testosterone because of the fact that BPA and things like that have, or pesticides um, have been placed inside of our foods, which, which cause effects in animals, which, and then the decreasing amounts of testosterone within men. Like an, an example is there's, there's a pesticide that gets placed on our food and our vegetables that we eat that uh, causes male frogs to turn into women frogs, to turn into female frogs. And we, we inhale these and we, and we eat these. Um, and we're seeing a decrease in testosterone. And I think it's not on purpose, but I think that it's causing climate change and it's causing the environment of human ability to change and, and, and die. Honestly, if, if they if men don't have testosterone, they die. And that's just it because they don't procreate and they die. So I'm going to get on the edge of getting canceled here. And so it's going to, Hey, let's get it. I've already been put, I've been put on specific people's uh, TikToks, things like that clips of me saying things that have no connotation. Really, yeah. but they have, but they're out of context, and I'm been just slaughtered. So just don't look at it; just say it. So there's there's two things. There's uh there's one, you know, where you talk about climate climate change or climate, you know, things that are going on with our climate. Um, oil drilling and all that is not is not a, is not as bad as they make it out to seem. What's really bad is agricultural farming. You know, I agree. with cows and, and pigs. We shouldn't be eating cows and pigs on the way that we're eating them now. Back in the day, a steak dinner was something you did on a weekly basis, once once a week. You know, you went to your local butcher and you got some meat for for a couple of days, and that was that was it. Okay, that's one thing. 
you know, also makes up the methane gas that animals produce is 30% of the, of the pollution that is created. You know, it's breaking our ozone layer. It's a, it's a, it's a ton of things. Okay. So that's, that's one thing, you know, I always think mother nature will reset itself and it will reset itself when it needs to, but we'll be long gone when it does. We'll kill each other before, before the earth dies completely. So that's, that's one thing. Uh, I also do agree with, you know, the pesticides that they're putting on. It's a major effect on the biochemistry of the, of the, of the average human being. Why that is, is, is they don't want to admit that that has a lot to do with people wanting to a be mentally ill when it comes to schizophrenia, depression, um, ADD, everything that happens to go on with that. It also has to do because being body dysmorphia or wanting to be transgender is still considered a mental illness and is a mental illness. It's cool if you want to live and let live. I don't care what you want to do, but you need to acknowledge the fact that you feel something in your mind makes you not normal to your genetic makeup, okay? With that being said, is they've done the studies with the frogs and all that. They can turn them back each way, which worth whatever you want, okay? The problem is, is they've seen that a male who has thoughts of wanting to be a woman, those thoughts subside. Well, well, first they test them and they see that there's low amounts of testosterone and they're below average for testosterone. And they see that those thoughts 100% subside after you boost their testosterone levels to back to normal. Just a quick question. What does the... So is transgenderism and gay and... and um homosexuality different then and is the testosterone link different because i doubt if you have more testosterone you will stop liking men if you like men yet because that's that's a sexual preference so sexual preference versus feeling like a different gender okay that's a sexual preference okay so like a sexual preference for me is i like my women to be uh, about my height you know those are my sexual preference is women. Okay. <laughs> if, if, if you're a man and you also like men, that's going to be your sexual preference. That's just what happens to be what you like. You know, what about see- this though? What about my sexual preference is usually five, three, five, two, um, black hair, my girlfriend, basically really not black hair, but dark hair, white, you know, Exactly. So you would see anyone who falls in that category sexually appealing to you. Yes. Okay. Like Megan Fox. There you go. Anyone in that, in that category. Yeah, hold on. I think everyone thinks Megan Fox is attractive. So it's not just me. I think women think Megan Fox is attractive, but go on. That's, that's their sexual preference. Okay. With your man who likes other men, that's all your, so your sexual preference. You know, we've seen high-profiled NBA players and, and NFL players be attracted to men. There's no problem with that. You know, what you do in your bedroom is is uh is your own business yeah look at like i don't mean to interrupt but look at like what happened with the raiders coach um and carl nassib who's a dn on their team who's gay and it comes out the coach doesn't like gay people very much doesn't like women uh affecting the profession very much like i think that with high-end sports it does have an it does have an achilles heel when it comes to homosexuality and femininity um it's just i think we're in an age where it's going to change i but i i do think that it has something to do with it with effect there's got to be gay people in the nfl but the people who come out with it 
very, 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 very small minority. That's, right? that's, that's what I want to get into is what people do in the bedroom has no effect on my way of life. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But when someone else comes to me and wants to be perceived a certain way, that's when it then affects other people's way of life. Okay. And that's where you fall into the category of it being inherently a mental illness. This person does not feel comfortable in their body. They want to be perceived a different way than that what than the way they are perceived. And they want to make those changes, which they want to make those changes. That's quite all right. But the studies have shown that if you have a male who is low in testosterone and, and is having thoughts of being a woman and you inject them with testosterone to bring up their hormone levels back to normal, they stop having those thoughts. So that begs the question, is that considered a cure or is that considered a genocide of the transgender population? That is a question that I want to answer, but I thought about something and it made me laugh while you were talking. And that is when I was trying to figure out this Mike situation, if you wanted to answer that question, you're going to have to wait to episode four of me and Adam Cole. But no, when we were talking about, we might get to it. But when I was talking about, when I was trying to figure out the Mike situation, you said something about throwing up on a boat. And I want to know if you're allowed to tell that story or not. Oh, this is actually a terrible. That's a, that's a terrible story. And I decline. I would love to say that story, but I cannot say that story. That's fine. That's why I asked. Cause I was like, I started laughing and I was like, did he say he threw up on a boat? It's that's worse fine. than that. It's worse than that. We'll, we'll have to do that on another less serious, less serious podcast. I will um, answer the, the genocidal question. I think, no, because genocide must refer to the killing, murder, murder of. But I think that if it is so that we do exchange the research and it, and it comes adequately clear, like almost Im, impartially, like there is no skewing of the data that if you if you enhance the testosterone of transgender women – an adverse enhanced estrogen of transgender men that they are skewed and they feel like the gender they're supposed to feel. Then I feel as though sex and gender are more linked than modern society would like you to think, um, which I, I agree with. I think there are two genders regardless of transgenderism. I think if you feel like a woman and you're a man, you're, you're going from one gender to another um, and if you feel like a man, you're a woman, you're going from one gender to another. I don't think the pronoun war is going to affect anything besides free speech. I think that if you are non-binary, that there should be a discussion because I have not talked to anyone who's non-binary in a long time. But I don't think that it is adequately just for me to be required to call you what you feel like. Yet, I, as a male who's straight, gets to be called whatever society deems me at the current moment. Evil, corrupt, and strange just because I was born a certain way, right? And that's what they would like to say. Why would they even assume that you're white? 
Well, I mean, I think there's a difference between skin, like looking and. Why, why would they assume that? There's, 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 there's white Africans. There are white Africans, there's but caucuses in North Africa that have, and and what are they? Uh, Assimiarites that have lived in North Africa for centuries and look exactly like you. So why would anyone assume that you are a white male? Devil De La Rey is a animator from South Africa that I talk to all the time, or I talk to him twice, and he is from South Africa, and he is very Caucasian. Um, so, so that's that's what you know. It begs the question: is they a lot of these people want a way of life that I don't think is very plausible because mm-hmm. it certainly affects other people's way of life way too much. You know, I have these conversations all the time, and my my biggest thing is. If it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it's probably a duck. So I'm going to call it what it is. But you can't come to me and say, I identify as a spoon. I'm not going to call you a spoon because I'm not going to put you in my soup. You know? And that's a hard-ass line. You should make that a quote. I'll post that. You know? So that's, that's where I draw the line. You know, it's very fine. And, you know, I have tr- people – I have uh, – you know, I know a lot of people who are in the, in the LBTGQ community, and that's fine. If you look a certain way, that's what I'm going to call you. And I'm going to assume, you know, at one point we do need to make assumptions because that's how the structure of our society is based off of. That's what our structure of society lives off of. Okay. So, you know, if someone says, oh, you can't, you must, you must call me by what I am. No, I'm going to call you by what you look like. You know, if it's completely something different then yeah, you can, you can make a correction. We can come to terms with it, but don't attack me for it because I don't know. Where does it become... Because I think that homosexuality is something that we all know is implicit with human society. You have enough men, you have enough women, you're going to have a a selection of those men and women who like the same sex. That's just normal. You know, like that's just, it's become explicitly clear that homosexuality is natural. Okay. When does it become. You can make the same argument for race. When does it become – when does the argument stop for equality, right? Because I don't think it ever will because I think it's, it's equality versus acceptance. And I don't think that modern society, American society is ready to accept all people. Race more than gender and sexuality, obviously, um, because I think most people are not as racist as people would like – American people are not as people would like to – admit but i think that homosexuality is something that especially religious people have a problem with and when does it become less when does when does the equality line get driven down do you think well and it and it all goes back to being tribal you know there's no problem i've you know there's there's no problem with being gay there's no problem with the way you live your life okay but if i myself am a gay man I am not going to go live in the Bible belt of Arkansas and make my way of life and try to turn everyone in that community to accept me and my way of life. No, if I'm a gay man, I'm going to live in communities that are more accepting of me. I'm going to live in Laguna beach, California. I'm going to live in West Hollywood, California, San Francisco, California. I'm going to live in Soho in New York city. I'm going to live in Miami, South beach, Miami. You know, those are all communities that are more than willing and have high populations of other gay males. And that's where people need to assimilate. 
You know, they need to find their tribe and join their tribe. And that's just what it is. You know, you, you can't, you can't expect to go into other places where people have a certain way of living and they've lived that way for centuries and all of a sudden flip it upside down. It's not how it works. You're only asking for confrontation. You're going to butt heads all the time. You know, if you want to make your life easy, go live your life the way other people are already living their lives. Okay. And it goes the same thing with, it goes, it goes for all aspects of life. Okay. You know, if I wanted to become a millionaire, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go talk to a millionaire. You know, when other people have what you want, it's time for you to listen to them. You need to stop talking and listen to them. So if the gay community, LGBTQ community, they've done a great job of finding their tribe and finding their, their way of life. And that's, that's great. Conservatives who have this, you know, conservative viewpoint of they're all bad and they're invading my community. No, they're not. You know, I highly doubt that, you know, those people are going into your neighborhoods in Utah where Mormonism and conservatism is, is running rampant. They're not going into communities in North Carolina and voting there. I can guarantee you that's not where you're seeing this population. And that's where I just don't understand where people continuously have this headbutting, you know, find your tribe and, and things will go a lot smoother. You said something about making life easier. You should do some things. But what happens when it becomes making, instead of making life easy for yourself, you want to make life harder for yourself because I think a lot of the communities are trying to do that. I think it's like these, the oppressors, I, I would rather make life hard for them than make it easy for myself. So what happens when that happens? And, and instead of assimilating yourself in a society that accepts you, you want to destroy the society that doesn't. Well, because they're going to target a community. They're not going to target the individual. So when I grew up, I grew up in a, you know, I wouldn't say bad part of town, but it wasn't the most favorable part of town. And my mom did not want me to grow up there. So she worked her ass off to get into a community where she thought I would do better in. And that's exactly what it was. You have to make sacrifices. You, you know, you have to go through hardship in order to make a better way, a better way of life. But you can't just scream under the foot of the oppressor and ask them to stop. They're never going to stop. What you can do is you can remove yourself from under the foot of the oppressor and continue to make yourself a better life. Do you think that the foot of the oppressor changes with time or do you think that it statically stays the same, especially in American society? Uh, it changes because everyone always wants a scapegoat, you know? So in the sixties it was, it was, uh, you know, they believed African-Americans were coming up from the South to take, to take uh, jobs in Detroit in the seventies, they thought it was, uh, you know, the gays running rampant and making it um, morally corrupt in the seventies. Uh, in the eighties, it was still the gay community with the AIDS epidemic, you know, in the nineties, it switched back over to race and it's, it's just going to, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's going to do a cycle. I mean, I think it goes, it's, it, it's going to go in a cycle. You know, the foot isn't always going to be on one person. It's always going to change. And, you know, new targets are going to arrive always. But that's just how our society works is we like to have a scapegoat. Final question. Where should the U.S. go from now? Where do you think 
regarding socially, economically, politically, where do you think the best way we could go is? Best way to go, isolationism that we did in the 30s in order to uh, recoup from whatever the hell's going on, where there's going to be a fat recession coming up once more, fatter than 08, I think. Uh, our infrastructure is fully depleting. It's on its last leg. We need to practice public works project to not only increase our power grid, mm -hmm. but also our infrastructure. You know, our, our freeways are falling apart. Our interstate freeways are falling apart. We have no means of public transportation. Majority of the subway cars in New York are from the 70s. We have no public, you know, no major public transportation besides the buses in LA. Um, driving culture needs to evaporate. We need to, you know, get on the works with, with uh, public transportation, but that's not going to help with COVID here and everything. Uh, so we really just need to focus on ourselves. You know, we, we give foreign aid to a number of countries and they either, they either need to sign up as protector, uh, protectorates, protectorates, or they need to give up the foreign aid. We give millions and millions of dollars to countries like Egypt and other Middle, uh, Middle Eastern countries for absolutely no reason, just to get a voting seat at the UN when we hold a majority of, I mean, we're the, we're the world power. Our, our military is the greatest of all great, but we still spend like six times what the next army below us spends. We need to, we need to funnel that money back into the American people because in the end, the American people are the only ones suffering. Well, thank you. This was a lot of fun, Adam. It's always, it's always a Dude. blast talking to you, man. Of course, of course. I always love doing this, so it's good stuff. Yeah. I feel like uh, I'm at a political table here. <laughs> always, yeah. Episode 83 with Adam Cole. Dude, I love talking to him. We always get into some deep-ass conversations about things that really matter. If you guys want to follow him, it's Adam Cole Studios on all his social media. If you guys want to stay tuned to me, it's Calling a Man's on all social media, and it's Calling a Man's Answers on all streaming platforms. If you guys want to stay up-to-date with the podcast and support it, then my Patreon is on my Instagram at Calling a Man's. Stay up-to-date every episode, usually Monday through Friday. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, stay demanding. <laughs>